you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to be picking up in verse 32, the uh, song that we just heard sung. Uh, What an appropriate song for uh, this Sunday's text as the... uh, in the garden, Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And taking the, the cup from the Father, unshrinking. Uh, what a privilege it is to hear that song and to be encouraged by it as I hear other brothers and sisters in Christ here in this congregation who I know are going through uh, great times of distress and sorrow, uh, trusting in the Lord and trusting in God's uh, providence through it. If you found Mark chapter 14, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? I'll be reading from verses 32 through 42 and uh, from the Christian Standard Bible. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. And again, he came and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. The son, See, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing in honor of it. Would you please be seated and join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us from your holy word today. Father, this picture in our mind's eye of Jesus in the garden and the the three uh, sleeping and slumbering while he told them to stay awake, a vivid picture for us today to drink in of your agony, of your submission. There's so much here. Lord, would you speak to us through your holy word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt helpless while somebody else is agonizing? Like you're watching somebody else in pain. Maybe you're um, a husband in the delivery room. Like, what do you do? You know, be quiet. Don't make a mistake, you know. Um, Nothing you can do to say or help to take away the agony and the pain, or maybe you're a mother and you've watched your child with like a fever 
or uh, sickness and their chills and aching and all this. And there's nothing you can do to feel that pain, but just be there and love them. Maybe you've watched somebody be injured and you just, oh man, my heart goes out for you, but what can I do? I'm, I'm just watching as you're suffering in pain. I find, I'm just confessing today, that the ability to try and actually imagine the amount of pain or anguish someone is in is something that far exceeds my strengths. I'm not sure if it's self-preservation, like I would pass out, like if I was, you know, that was one thing I was trying not to do in the delivery room, right? Don't pass out, Jason, don't pass out, you know? Or um, maybe it's kind of like the whole thing about being in the plane, you know, if you got to take the oxygen mask first, so it's like, you know, you don't want to be so involved with their suffering that you can't actually be of any use or help in the moment. Uh, whatever it is, I find that my empathy level is wanting. Like, I wish I was better at empathizing. Like, some of you in this room, this is like your jam. Like, you're really, really good at coming alongside of somebody and empathizing with them, uh, being there with them through their agony and their distress, um, which is a biblical principle, by the way. So let me just say, Scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so it's always my goal, my personal goal. Again, I'm confessing this morning a little bit. I want to improve in this area, but I know that I fall short at times with empathy. Now, if there was ever a time in the history of humanity to empathize, to support someone while they were agonizing and in distress, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. As these disciples were there and seeing our Lord agonizing in distress. Gethsemane means olive press. It means olive press. And it was in that garden that the Lord's soul was being crushed and pressed out in grief. Jesus was in such agony that the author of Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. As our Lord sweat drops of blood and cried out in anguish, we are told that there were three of his disciples who were within earshot. These were the same three that had seen Jesus raise the dead in Mark chapter 5. These were the same three that had seen Jesus transfigured in all of his glory before their very eyes in Mark chapter 9. And interestingly, these three men specifically told Jesus they were willing to share in his suffering. You might recall back in chapter 10 of Mark's gospel that James and John had been vying for positions of authority next to Jesus. When he comes into his kingdom, they said, Lord, can, can we be at your right hand and at your left hand? Pick up with me in verse 37 of Mark 10. They answered him, allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We are able, they told him. Interesting that these two men had offered that they were able to take on the cup of suffering that Jesus was about to take. 
And then we studied just last week, Brother David, thank you so much. I watched uh, the sermon, just outstanding job, heard good uh, report of the message last Sunday. We read and studied about Peter's uh, denial and the prediction of his denial. Peter told him in verse 29 of chapter 14 that we're in today, even if everyone falls away, Lord, I will not. And then in verse 31, he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. So Jesus gives these three who have said they would take the same cup opportunity, the opportunity to live up to their brave words of devotion, taking them a little farther with him into the garden. However, the men who said they would never abandon Jesus can't stay awake or even just be there for our Lord for a single hour of his agony. But it gets worse. It's not just that the disciples failed to be good friends or to empathize with the agony of our Lord or even to follow his command to stay alert, to be awake and be watchful while he prayed. Peter failed to remember Jesus had literally just predicted that he would deny his Lord. So Jesus calls Peter out specifically. Take note of that in verse 37. If you look back at the text, you see Jesus came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? How often do we find it to be true that the stupor of seeming normalcy or the lack of actually going through the trial right now at present, no matter how soon that trial might be around the corner. Remember, Jesus predicted before the rooster crows, it's going to happen. This kept Peter distant from the Lord in prayer. This stupor of like, well, it's not right now. Like, I'm not going through it right now. I don't feel like I'm going to deny him now. And so I would say that too many of us are prayer procrastinators. We are prayer procrastinators. Life is fine right now, so we think, you know, I can cruise under my own power without communing with the Lord and taking things to Him while everything seems fine. What Peter failed to recognize was one of the most basic principles of prayer. It's on the screen for you. That's prayer is a prophylactic for times of trial and temptation. Now, I I know I chose a big word, but I think it's the right word. So stay with me if you don't know what a prophylactic means. Kids, often in medical situations, we use that word prophylactic for a medicine or a course of action that's used to prevent a disease. It's a preventative measure that's taken. The word prophylactic is from the mid-16th century. It comes from a French word, Brother David, uh, prophylactique. Am I saying that anywhere close to right? No. Okay. Prophylactique. It comes via Latin uh, from Greek, from the Greek word prophylacticos, having the prefix pra or pro, meaning before, and the root word philosane, which is to guard. So a prophylactic guards before. It guards before. Guard before it happens. This is why Jesus says to all three of the men in verse 38, Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. 
And the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray, he says, so that you won't enter into temptation. Pray so that you won't be tested. That word temptation uh, that's translated temptation in the CSB could be either temptation or testing, uh, which Peter was facing both. I think it has both meanings in this specific context. And isn't that exactly how the Lord taught his disciples to pray in the model prayer? Our Father who is in heaven, he he says later in the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me ask you today, are you only praying when things are bad? Are you only praying when things go wrong? This is one of the things that is extraordinarily disheartening as a pastor. All too often, situations are at crisis level 11 by the time somebody finally reaches out to a pastor to talk. Before the crisis felt like it was overwhelming, people tried dealing with this in their own strength, using their own wisdom, talking to their friends, talking to their family. They've often put a great deal of thought into what others will think of them about the decision that they're going to make, but notably absent from the pre-crisis counseling appointment is prayer, be it on their own or a request for others to pray before the time of testing or temptation comes. Now, don't misunderstand me. Like, get me out of this mess, Lord, is an acceptable prayer. It's just that keep me from getting into this mess, Lord, is a much better prayer. Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, wake up, stay alert, pray before the crisis comes. Prayer is an incredible prophylactic to trials and temptations. Peter had been taught this. Peter desperately needed to follow through on this, but alas, he didn't. What's wrong with Peter, James, and John? Jesus gave a hint at the end of verse 38, and then he confirms it for us in verse 40. The more literal translation of uh, the Greek in the New American Standard Bible says verse 40 like this. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Hence the title of the message today, Heavy-Eyed and Speechless. Friends, I'm afraid that what's wrong with Peter, James, and John is what's wrong with us. Far too often, we are heavy-eyed and speechless. Jesus had said to them, the spirit is willing, meaning the human spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When Jesus asked Peter, could you not watch one hour? The inability he's implying is a lack of stamina a lack of strength. Like, were you too tired? Were you running out of gas to be able to stay alert? Jesus could have just as easily have been talking to us, couldn't he? And that's without compounding the problem as we so often do with sinful indulgences of the flesh where we eat too much, we stay up too late. Like, on our own, we are weak and frail and human. We get sleepy Some of you are, I can see it in your eyes today. (laughs) We have tired eyes. 
our minds wander when we pray. We so often lack, hear this, we lack an emotional alignment to the reality we know to be true when we pray. Like, we are praying to the God of the universe. We are praying to the one who can do all things. Nothing is impossible for the Father. Like, we are willing in our spirits, but we are often dragging our bodies along, kicking and screaming for the ride. Dear Christian, you and I both know we should pray. We know we should remain alert. We know we should because like Peter and the other disciples, we have been commanded to pray, have we not? Like Jesus expects his disciples to pray. Matthew 6 verse 5, and when you pray, the next verse, but when you pray, the next verse, and when you pray, Matthew 6 verse 9, pray like this, a command. Luke 11 and 9, I tell you, ask, seek, knock. Luke 18 verse 1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray. We know what to do, and we want to do it. But what do you call it when you know what you should do, but the lack of follow-through to actually do it is not there? Well, at worst... James calls it sin. To know what to do and not to do it is sin. So I'm going to say it this morning. It is possible some of us in our church today are sinning for our abysmal prayer lives. At best, when you know what you should do, but lack the follow-through to actually do it, you call it a lack of discipline. Do I know I shouldn't eat so many chocolate candies before bed, but I eat them anyway? I'm lacking discipline. Do I know I should work out and stretch more? Like, trust me, my ACL is telling me today that the weather changed 50 degrees in the last week. Yeah, I know my flesh is willing. Like, my spirit is willing, sorry, but my flesh is weak when the alarm clock goes off in the morning. I can still run for miles in my head. And I can lift weights like a champion in my spirit. But when I fail to follow through, it isn't for a lack of wanting to be more in shape. It's really just a lack of discipline. All of this ends up leaving me, here it is, speechless. When somebody like Sean Healy, who is very disciplined, comes up and says, Brother Jason, how are you doing with your goals, your fitness goals, and your, you know, your plan? I've got no comeback. <laughs> Besides, I know I should be, but I'm not where I ought to be. Or when a friend invites me to work out, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. Or when my wife finds chocolate wrappers on the table the next morning, <laughs> speechless. What can you say when you know you should be praying and you aren't? Nothing. You stand there with guilty conscience convicted. Now, some of you might dare to say, I, I'm just too busy to pray. That's, that's what it is. I'm too busy to pray. Allow me to close a few more mouths this morning. John Piper once said, quote, One of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and whatever the next thing is, 
will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. Brothers and sisters, are you feeling with me heavy-eyed and speechless as we considered the topic of prayer this morning? I know I was convicted in my study as I prepared for this message. So what are we to do? First, thank God we are redeemed by the same Savior as Peter, James, and John. Thank God we are redeemed by the same Savior as Peter, James, and John. Look at verse 41. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. See, the Son of Man is betrayed, here it is, into the hands of sinners. Jesus is delivered over by Judas to sinners. But praise God, the Lord Jesus was also delivered over by God for sinners. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. He says that righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him, meaning Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. If your lack of prayer is not just a lack of discipline, but perhaps a matter of sinful disobedience, remind yourself there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The same God who redeemed Peter, James, and John from their sin of abandoning the Savior in his hour of agony and all of their various other sins is the same God who has saved you from your sins. And he did it by the obedience of the Son who submitted himself to the Father's will and was delivered up into the hands of sinners for you and me. Jesus did not shrink back from the cup of suffering and divine wrath that wrenched his soul into agony. And instead of falling prey to the frailty of humanity, he steeled his soul through prayer. Perhaps it was Psalm 42 and 43. Those psalms together have the same refrain three times, matching the number of times Jesus returned to come to the Father in prayer. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. And putting his hope in the Father, Jesus humbly submitted his will to the will of him who he knew would crush him. The Father would pour out his wrath for sinners on the sinless one to make a way for sinful, slothful people like you and me to be saved. So I encourage you, begin this morning with grace and not with guilt. Fly to Jesus. Don't pray in your own strength to check off a box somewhere. Fly to Christ. Jesus warns against the heaping up of empty prayers like that anyway. Pray like the tax collector prayed. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. One of the ones, one of the sinners for whom Jesus was delivered up in the garden. But then secondly, be disciplined about prayer. Now, if that sounds legalistic, then revisit 
point number one first. You're not praying to earn your salvation. You are praying because you love your Savior. And you wish to be obedient out of your great love for Christ and your trust that his commands for you to pray are for your good and for God's glory. Disciplining yourself to pray invites your willing spirit along for the ride as you beat your body and your flesh to make it your slave. That's the way Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. One commentator exhorts that God's servants must exercise themselves with an athletic-like discipline as they pursue God's purposes for their lives. There will be no prayer life without this. Now, no athlete that you know, some of you are athletes, but no athlete that you know runs a marathon or lifts some crazy amount of weight or does some spectacular athletic thing all of a sudden one day, right? Carrie Cooper's not going to run a marathon just tomorrow without training. We have to train. That same athlete will tell you that there were numerous times when they didn't feel like working out. But they brought their body and their emotions into submission to their will and they saw results. The same can be true with spiritual disciplines. At the end of the day, while I can and should, Brother Sean, have goals for my own physical well-being, and I do, Paul also tells Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So hear, hear this. If you're crushing it in the gym, but your prayer life is non-existent, your ROI, is that speaking, your return on investment is nothing close to what it could be with better prioritization in your life. Thirdly, let me encourage you to learn more about prayer. Be disciplined about prayer, yes, and learn more about prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Donald Whitney asked this question, since prayer is learned, will you learn to pray? Since prayer is learned, will you learn to pray? Learning more about prayer often helps improve your prayer life. But just as with the practice of prayer, Learning about prayer also takes some planning and some follow-through. So will you learn to pray by linking your Bible reading to prayer through the practice of meditation? Meditating on the Word of God, making it the fodder, the source of the fuel for your prayer life. Do you have a plan for making time to pray with others? Have you set aside to be at our fourth Sunday Prayer and worship nights at six o'clock. Praying with other believers. Are you willing to learn more about prayer by reading about prayer? Might I suggest that you pick up Donald Whitney's book from the book nook, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, 
and read his chapter on prayer. Did you know you have permission to do that with books? You're allowed to take a book and go into the table of contents and say, that chapter looks interesting, and read just one chapter? That book is worth it for the chapter on prayer. Learn more about prayer. Then finally, believe that God answers prayer. Believe that God answers prayer. And I'll take you to example number one in our text today. God answered Jesus's prayer. The answer was no. No, I will not take this cup from you. God answered Paul's prayer. The answer was no. No, Paul, I will not take this thorn from your side. Are you content to align your will to God's will? Understanding that about prayer means we understand prayer consists not in changing God's mind per se, but finding our own alignment of our will to the Father's will, to God's will. R.T. France writes, quote, where our desire is not in line with God's purpose, it is the former, meaning our desires, that must give way. And if it is true for the Son of Man, like if this was true of Jesus, nevertheless, Lord, not what I will but you, how much more for us? It is in Jesus's instinctive acceptance of this sense of priority, the Father's will be done, that he found strength to face the cross. Of course, we know from the rest of the New Testament, Jesus's obedience to the Father's will in an answered prayer that was answered no was actually for our good and for God's glory. If the Father had answered Jesus, yes, I will take this cup from you, you and I are without hope. Brothers and sisters, I know some of you have been begging God for a cup to pass from you. And his answer so far has been no. And so I'm compelled to remind you today, as we've heard by the Holy Spirit's working, not the elders comparing notes through Brother Wayne today, God is good. He is a good father. He gives his children good gifts. He does not withhold anything from us that is not ultimately for our good and for his glory. And we know, Paul says, that for those who love God, all things, some things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The Father longs to answer our prayers with what is best for us. So keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, persist in prayer, and never leave your knees without aligning your own wishes and desires to his will. Jesus taught all of his disciples 
to pray that way, to pray the way he prayed in the garden. Again, in the model prayer, in Matthew 6, verse 10, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So brothers and sisters, stay awake, stay alert, not only for his return, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Mark 13 is not far behind Mark 14, where Jesus said, watch, stay alert, stay awake for his coming return. So we stay awake for that, but we also stay awake for every moment until he does return. Why? Because we know prayer is a prophylactic for trials and temptation. And because prayer aligns our will to his will, and because prayer is what our Savior taught us and modeled for us to do before and during our deepest trials.